I started with the spray paint and then I built up oil paint on top of that. Um, and then I worked some collage into that. And it's, it's kind of a back and forth process then at that point where sometimes then I remove collage. Um, with this one, I ended up tearing some of the pieces off. And so I, I like to do that in a way to reveal what's underneath or to think about this idea of, you know, something being removed or gone or missing. You know, I think a lot about absence and presence, like I said. And so with this one, I knew that I, I wanted to, to make this central form feel kind of like a bed. Although I think it's now that I look at it, it's hard for me not to see that. But I think somebody that is just looking at it for the first time might not see that. But I wanted it to feel like it's simultaneously this bed form, but also feeling kind of like a picket fence with the slats. So thinking about nesting, putting these forms inside each other, thinking about ideas of protection and holding something as valuable and thinking about growth. There's a lot of symbolism in this one for me. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 223rd episode, I'm excited to be joined by Emily Samoski, who spoke with me from Michigan. We talk all about her work, which explores a variety of mixed media, 2D paintings, collage, and we talk all about the process of how these are worked through and layered. Again, these are also pretty large paintings, about seven by eight feet some of them taking a year to complete. So we definitely talk about process. Again, a lot of the images that she utilizes are derived from interiors and rooted in ideas of the home. And she's especially interested in the idea of actual space and psychological space and how they exist simultaneously and are open to interpretation. We're going to talk all about that coming up in this interview. Her MFA thesis exhibition entitled Being Sensing Dwelling is on view at the Eli and Edith Art Museum at Michigan State University in East Lansing. And that's going on now through May 3rd. Obviously, if there's an opportunity for people to see it live, uh, we'll update that. So please be sure to check that out. And of course, check out her work at emilysamoski.com. I'd like to note real quick that Emily's work was selected as part of 2019's Studio Break student competition. Our juror last year Erica B. Hess from I Like Your Work podcast picked hers amongst many, and that's an annual competition that we do. We have an announcement coming up in the next week or so that we are going to be opening that up again for undergraduate and graduate students to apply and share their work on Studio Break. Again, our juror this year is Tim Kowalczyk at Tim Ceramics on Instagram. So we're very excited to have this new competition opening up shortly. So if you're interested, you're going to see information update on our Instagram page. So be sure to follow us there at studio underscore break. You can also follow us on Facebook at studio break. And of course on Twitter at studio break. If you're checking out the podcast for the first time, just remember there are plenty up at studiobreak.com. Each of them have images of the artist's artwork and links to their websites. You can subscribe to the podcast in a variety of different podcast forms. So be sure and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and Google Play. And with those announcements out of the way, here is our interview with Emily Samoski. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Emily Samoski. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. 
you know, we've been talking about the weirdness of the world and it'll be nice to dive into your, your work for a bit and to talk about kind of these inner worlds and real worlds and how they kind of collide. And of course we've got works that are more mixed media based and we can kind of talk about the process for those. And of course the uh, digital ones, people that are interested can certainly go to emilysamoski.com to check out more uh, work and, and follow along or specific pieces. Mm -hmm. But as you may or may not know, I always like to kind of find out more about artists and their background to start. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and, and we can kind of work forward from there. I grew up in Northeast Ohio, a little town called Hartville. I feel like it was a pretty average American upbringing, really middle class, lived in a suburban household. And so, you know, a lot of my a lot of my work kind of references that in a way, just growing up in kind of this like mundane area. So I have a lot of memories as I was growing up of playing with the neighborhood kids, living in an allotment, you know, and it's kind of interesting because even as a kid um, and going over to my friend's house, you know, just a few doors down and and seeing how how their houses were very similar in structure, like maybe the house was just flipped or um, they had similar wallpaper. And so at a really young age, I started to think about, I guess, the architecture of our experiences and the places that hold these memories and the similarities and differences between our lives and thinking about these spaces that are, you know, very similar, but yet they hold so many different things for so many different people. But I guess one thing that was maybe not average about the way that I grew up is that I was, I'm a triplet. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I grew up with a brother and sister that are the same age as me. We also have an older brother too. He's four years older. But yeah, so that was interesting because I always felt like we were kind of perceived as this unit that we mm -hmm. were always referred to as the triplets. <laughs> and everybody expected us to, I feel like, I don't know if this is even true or not, but I always felt like people just assumed that we were, that we were so much alike, even though we looked completely different. So I kind of identified with that for most of the time growing up, you know, because we were in the same classes, we played the same sports, we were, we all were in soccer, we did cross country and band. But yeah, I actually don't think it was even until probably high school that I started to think about myself as an individual and what, what I really liked apart from apart from my triplet brother and sister. And so that I think that actually has a has a lot to do with why I started to pursue art is because it was something that was that was it was different from what they were interested in. And it was something that I could kind of make my own, you know, and I'm not a very competitive person. So being in the same sports and classes and everything, it's it's hard not to compare yourself to that. So I did enjoy the break from feeling like there was a competition amongst all of us. So, you know, I think that that has a lot to do with why uh, now we're all extremely different from each other. I think we kind of all had to find our own little areas to explore. And so we've kind of just diverged as the older we get, it seems like the more different we are. Yeah. It's super interesting. And I'm assuming people were like, you have to start a band, you know, together yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody thought it was the coolest thing. And people right. would ask, like, you know, what does it feel like to be a triplet? And it doesn't Weird. feel I, I don't know what it feels like not to be. So, right, you know, right. it's kind of hard to explain. Well, again, anything that that is outside of someone's norm, you know, is like something that people are going to be like, oh, that's so unusual, you know, or 
or ask you questions that you kind of think of as being really straightforward. Yeah. So you were just describing this this idea of, you know, everybody kind of finding their own way eventually. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe some of those art classes that you started kind of exploring. Um, was there anything in particular that kind of led you down that path? I mean, did you have a deep-seated desire to be a graphic designer in high school and then be like, oh, no way, this is too too much? Or what was the plan, um, I guess, around that time or, or some of the things that you're interested in? Again, it could be kind of pretty open-ended there. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, as a kid, I was... I was really into art. I always had these different creative projects that I was working on. I was always drawing, just always working on something. And then I think it was, I might have been around like like nine or 10 or something when I just kind of stopped. And I don't really know why, but for a long time, I, I kind of forgot about my about my interest in it. And maybe it was around the time when you start realizing or start thinking about yourself as being good at something or bad at something. And so, you know, it wasn't actually until I took an art one class in high school that I just randomly took it as as a required fine arts class. Uh, I wasn't expecting to fall in love with it or anything. But after I took art one, it was just within the first couple of weeks that I I really, really liked it. And so we had a sketchbook in that class. And I remember every week we would have sketchbook assignments. And I remember counting the pages and thinking, okay, well, we're not going to need to use the entire sketchbook for class. So then I would start in the back and I would work on my own drawings in the back of the sketchbook and make sure that I was keeping track of how many pages I had left for how many weeks were left in the semester. And that's when I realized that this is something that I was really, really interested in. And I remember making a painting in that class. It was the first time that I'd ever used acrylic paint. And I just remember it was something that I couldn't stop thinking about. Even when I left art class, I couldn't wait to get back and keep working on it. And so I just knew I had to keep taking art. I didn't know where it was going to lead or what I wanted to do with it. But I just felt like it was something that I felt really pulled to keep pursuing. But yeah, so then when I was a senior in high school, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do with it, but I knew that I wanted to keep taking art classes. So I remember going to the University of Akron and seeing their facilities, just doing a tour of the art school. And I remember seeing the drawing rooms and the painting studios and I just knew that that's where I wanted to be. I didn't know what I was going to do, but that's that's the kind of environment that I wanted to to be in every day. And so I knew it wasn't practical. And I, I grew up in a very practical family um, thinking about, you know, what I was going to do afterwards. So that's kind of how that started. There was definitely a lot of anxiety about, you know, what am I going to do with this? But, you know, honestly, I just felt like I felt like it would work out. I felt like I would figure it out as I go. And I still feel that way that, you know, you kind of, if you feel that strongly about something, you just kind of have to go for it and everything will work out. You know, I, I didn't really have a backup. I, you know, I, I had thought about going into marine biology. I was really interested in science and, um, I had done a lot in high school with marine biology and stuff like that, but it didn't even compare to the, the kind of excitement that I had about making, and sharing art and just being surrounded by art every day. I think it's almost like being like a visual or physical kind of problem solver. You know, Mm -hmm. there's something about trying to have to work through something as opposed to, you know, work through a a proof, 
you know, for math or something, something like that. Maybe it's kind of mm-hmm. similar for somebody that's into math, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, like there's there is something about that process where you're going to figure out how to do something that is, I think, something that really kind of draws people in. Mm-hmm. You were talking about the University of Akron, visiting there and kind of being into it. What were the, some of the first classes that kind of jumped out in, in terms of those experiences? And again, obviously, <laughs> inspiration strikes in, you know, rare forms. Uh, so... I don't know. Is there anything that sticks out for you? Yeah. So um, I started out um, double majoring in painting and drawing and art education. I mean, when I first took the foundations classes, I fell in love with drawing it with charcoal. I, I've i never been much of a 3D artist at all. So I knew that that was something that I, I didn't want to uh, spend much more time doing. But I knew that I was really interested in 2D work. So as I continued through the program, I took my first intro to painting class as soon as I could. I think it was my second semester that I was there. And I was still trying to figure out, I knew I I couldn't pursue both a BFA in painting and drawing and art education. So I was trying to figure out ways that I could get the same experience for doing both. So I ended up doing a painting minor. I took as many painting classes as I could. So I think at Akron, that was at least five or six classes. So I felt like even though I didn't get a BFA, it still, it had a very similar experience because I was able to take classes all the way through the advanced level. So I did pursue a a BA in art education, but yeah, it was really my painting classes that, that were the most exciting to me. I took an intermediate painting class. We had to take several of those, but the first intermediate painting class that I took with the professor that totally changed the way that I thought about painting up until then. It had been very representational based and or very observation based. And so, and I think this is just the nature of taking a painting to or an intermediate painting class where you start to think about abstraction and different ways of building an image rather than just through observation or through a direct source. So um, when I took this class, I really started to think about um, having more of a dialogue with the painting itself I I always started with some kind of source material. And for me, a lot of that was objects that I had, that I'd collected from my surroundings that I had put together in a box. And so I I would kind of paint from these objects. But then after I got the painting going, I would put those away. I would put the photos away that I was looking at. And I would just start to have this dialogue with the painting where I started to think about it more as as what the painting needs to feel complete or to make it feel balanced or to make it have more contrast. And so I thought about it on a very formal level for a while, but that was really exciting to me thinking about being more engaged with the painting in that way and to constantly be stepping back from it and assessing what I had done and thinking about where to push it next. So it was, it was really challenging to work that way, but it's, it's something that I've embraced ever since then. And you know, it's it's really, really difficult for me to work from a predetermined image. Mm-hmm. I just, I get bored with it. And it's something that I had done quite a bit up until that point. But then, you know, now I feel like it's, it really is more about, you know, being with the painting and, and thinking about just constantly going back and forth between working intuitively and then stepping back and analyzing what I've done and, and where I want to go next. I love hearing about that process because I think that's, really interesting to open up what painting can be, you know, kind of in the the same sense of, um, you know, like a, a modernist that's trying to figure out, 
you know, what the fundamental thing is that painting can be about if it's not about just making something look like something or replicating life. Mm -hmm. So is that kind of what you were kind of on the the path for in terms of like what, you know, your thesis would be or your senior thesis show? Well, so because I was an art education major, I, I didn't do a, it wasn't a required show. I ended up doing one just because like I said, I was kind of trying to give myself this BFA experience without actually doing the BFA because it wouldn't, it just didn't fit to do both. It was just, it was way too many classes. So mm-hmm. I did end up doing a show. It was a month after I graduated, I did a solo show. And so that's the work that I had for that was, it was very abstract. It was kind of like I was just describing. I had these objects that I had put together. And so I made these like little worlds. I was I was very influenced by the work of Sarah Z at this point, thinking about using everyday objects or manufactured items and putting them together in a way that makes them um, feel like it's transformed into a new kind of environment. So I was using that process, but then translating that onto a two-dimensional surface and Um, In doing that, like I said, I would kind of start with the source material, but then pretty quickly I would stop looking at it. So it it originated from direct observation, but then through through abstraction and working with this process, it kind of evolved and changed. But they all felt like they were like these kind of invented landscapes or little worlds. I called them realms. Um, So I had a whole series of work like that that I showed right after I graduated was there anything specific about the objects that you were choosing or were they just kind of objects that you had around or? That's a good question. Uh, I, I really gravitated towards natural objects. So a lot of them were very organic for me at the time. I was really trying to just explore paint and explore texture. And I, like I had said, it was very based in the formal qualities of painting. So I was finding objects that I was attracted to on a visual level. And it just so happened that a lot of those were very organic kinds of things. So I would pull things from nature. I would use objects that kind of had like a nature or natural quality to them. And then it was interesting putting these things together and seeing how when it was translated through paint, how it kind of transforms. And that's still something that I think about now is how translating something through paint or abstracting it in some way and how that can kind of open up what it is that it becomes this unknowable kind of object. It has a, it has limitless possibility for the viewer to come to and to be able to kind of speculate what these things are, what the relationships are between them. So I liked that kind of open-ended aspect about it. Well, and so what did you wind up doing afterwards? Were you, was it a couple of months later that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't face reality. I've got to get back to school. Or did you kind of have teaching experiences or things that you're doing, you know? Yeah, right after I graduated, I I actually graduated in, it was December of 2013. And then just a couple of months later, I had gotten a long-term substitute position at an elementary school for an art teacher. So I was able to work for a few months just until the end of the school year, I think it was, maybe until April or May, I can't quite remember. So I was, it was, it felt pretty immediate that I was just kind of thrown into the full-time life of being an art teacher. And I loved it. I really, really enjoyed working with students and especially elementary students. It was hard because it wasn't my classroom. It was, I was working in somebody else's setup, but I, I knew that that's something that I wanted to pursue. So 
after that was over, I, I looked for our teaching jobs and I was lucky that I got one for the next school year. I started teaching at a middle school. So I taught sixth through eighth grade. And so I taught there for two years and I, I really did enjoy it. And then actually, so I'm trying to figure out how to word this. Uh, <laughs> after I taught at the middle school for two years, I went through a really big life change. So mm-hmm. I got married. Um, my husband and I moved out to Michigan. So he actually started his MFA at Michigan State. And I found a teaching job at an elementary school that was within the Lansing area. And so I taught for a year while he started his MFA. While I had that position, it was a really, really demanding job. And I think a lot of teaching positions are where you see a lot of students, you know, you have back-to-back classes, you know, funding is is pretty limited. So I did a lot of fundraising to buy supplies. And it was, it was just, it was a really demanding job that it was hard for me to balance that with making my own work. So I made the decision, it had always been in the back of my mind, but at that point, I made the decision that I wanted to pursue my MFA too. And after seeing, kind of getting a firsthand look into the MFA program at Michigan State, it just, there were so many things about it that just seemed so ideal. So I applied and uh, I, thankfully, I got in then for the next year. So I left my elementary art teaching job and went to go pursue my MFA. So it was difficult, though, because once I made that decision to apply, I still had to make a body of work to apply with. So, you know, it was just a really, really crazy time. Like I said, we had moved out here. We had just gotten married. So we were still getting settled into our apartment at the same time that I was setting up a studio in the basement. And I would come home from teaching every day. And I forced myself to to keep painting. And so that was really exhausting. But I worked on a much smaller scale, mm-hmm. but I was able to make, I think, nine to 10 paintings that I used for my, my grad school portfolio. So yeah, so I, it just, I knew that I wanted more time to be able to focus on my work. And I, I had felt like with teaching, it was doable, but it was hard to, I felt like my work had kind of reached a point where it was hard to, to push it further. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, I really, really wanted to give myself the time and energy and space to be able to push it to where I, where I wanted it to go. So you apply, you get in, mm-hmm. you're ecstatic. <laughs> yes. Um, well, and so, so, you know, what was that experience like to kind of go back to it? Obviously, like you're kind of describing being in a place where you kind of want essentially to take it to a different level. So, you know, like, again, as, as you no doubt know, usually that's a a terrible first start where they're like, Oh, you got to rip all these paintings in half and start over entirely. Was that, was that kind of the, an easy transition or at least something Um, that you kind of were were able to work through or lots of endless nights in the studio where you're like, Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I would say it was tough. I mean, nothing about grad school has been easy, but it's been, it's been rewarding and it's, I'm so glad that I decided to do it because I had felt like, especially after going from teaching full time and being around students all day, every day that are making their work. And then I come home and I don't have the energy to keep doing my work. I just felt like I was so ready for that. Mm -hmm. But it was hard because, you know, basically you start and 
you can't just keep doing what you were doing because then, you know, why even be there? Mm -hmm. But starting and having to kind of break down your process and experiment with different ideas or different materials, it was really exciting. I, I did feel overwhelmed um, a lot of times, but I never felt like I made the wrong decision to do this. It was always this kind of, it was a really exciting um, yet overwhelming time. Yeah, I think I just had the perspective of just being really, really thankful to be there after where I had come from. So I think it was really important for me to have that experience teaching and to just feel so ready for this experience. I think a lot of people that go from doing their BFA right to an MFA, I, I can't imagine doing that. I think I think having some perspective and, and working for a little while for me was was really good in helping me find the motivation and the drive to be able to put my full energy into this. Yeah. And like something to say, you know, I mean, not to be a downer for anybody that's 22 years old starting graduate school, but kind of taking some time off to, you know, again, you worked an art job. I worked at a, at a Hobby Lobby as a framer. So Nobody oh, really, yeah. nobody really cares about your extensive art background in painting. <laughs> so it's kind right. of a wake up call to kind of work through that and to kind of deal with the challenges of how do I make work or show work while I'm, you know, living this job. So again, to kind of oh, get yeah. back to school in that capacity, it's, it's something mm-hmm. that's interesting. I'm always, you know, especially curious if there's any artists, especially in graduate school that you wind up getting exposed to, you know, again, I always kind of point out to people for me anyways, I had a. Uh, art class called churches and monasteries as visual patrons. And it was taught by mm. uh, a professor that's only there for a year. And it was kind of like the hardest I'll get ready to re-edit that. <laughs> we just had an extensive amount of reading to do. And it was really difficult reading about people making pilgrimages to like cathedrals. And, you know, we had to write this massive paper, but it was the kind of most, in some ways, most important art history class that I took that really kind of got me better at writing. So Mm-hmm. Again, I'm always interested if there's something that was especially like art history or artist wise that you kind of got exposed to that maybe changed the, any of your, your work as well. Yeah, I mean, I would say not just with art history, but with the graduate seminars that we took, um, we were exposed to a lot of art theory. And, you know, at the time, it was kind of like how you were describing it was it was a lot of work and a lot of writing and the reading was really dense. But a lot of that has actually stuck with me. There was a reading by uh, French philosopher Jacques Ranciere, Problems and Transformations of Critical Art. And he talks about the role of collage in art and how when you bring things from the outside world into a work of art, how it can kind of, it changes the viewer's perspective on those things. So it takes things that were familiar, but makes them kind of strange. So it causes this disruption in in how you know or how you recognize these things. And it was when I read that that I really started to embrace the role of collage in my work. And I love how collage can, um, and especially working with paint too, it can create this window into a new world, but yet there's also aspects of the world that are being reflected back to the viewer. So there's this interesting kind of setup that happens when you use these things that people recognize, but in an unusual or a different kind of way than they're used to seeing it. My current work is, I would say it's influenced by a wide range of artists, like not just painters, but um, I had mentioned Sarah Z earlier. I look at installation artists. Adrian Genie is a painter who who I look at quite a bit that uses 
he creates this tension between representation and abstraction and this really kind of emotional use or emotional quality to his paintings. I've just been exposed to a lot of different kinds of artists, you know, modernist painters, contemporary painters, and artists that work in different disciplines. I think some people don't think about how reading and, you know, thinking can kind of influence the work, especially Mm -hmm. if you're kind of making work that's about something that's abstracted or something that maybe starts in reality and kind of shifts or changes. You kind of want this particular kind of reading to make it kind of feel open. But I think a lot of those times, even if it's something that's not directly linked into your work, it it changes the way that you see it. And I think ultimately that's what your goal is, right? You want to be able to leave this experience to continue to make work the rest of your life and Mm -hmm. to to come come up with something that's compelling for yourself, but then also, you know, allows people to kind of come to it. Right. So I think, again, it's it's really important to kind of hear you talk about some of those experiences. But I'm curious, especially, too, if your background as a teacher kind of helped you in terms of being a teacher, you know, because I, I think, as you know, most of the artists that you're working with as, as peers, they might not have that background in terms of how to write lesson plans and things like that. Has that mm-hmm. been something that's been super useful, too, and being able to kind of work through all of that? Actually, yeah, I really, I gained a lot of skills being a teacher for just a few years, you know, time management, uh, multitasking, you know, I feel like I was able to take on a lot and think about a lot of different things at once. And I do see that coming into my studio work or to my paintings that, you know, a lot of those, those skills that I, I learned as a teacher, I think that, you know, they, they just help you in all different aspects that uh, part of our program does involve teaching. So we teach a class every semester. So I, that definitely has helped in in teaching undergrads, because even though it's a completely different level of teaching, it's I still have a, a pretty solid understanding of the mechanics of running a classroom and how to engage students and different modes of learning. And so all of that was pretty natural and intuitive for me once I started teaching undergrads. It was just really exciting for me being in that environment and being able to engage with these art concepts on a deeper level. Right on. Yeah, up until that point, I did what I could, but a lot of it felt like there was so much classroom management involved that it was really hard to to feel like you were just directly engaging with art and not, you know, drama between students or trying to get their attention. So it, it was a big shift for me in teaching undergrads because, you know, they come to art classes and sometimes they're required to take the classes like foundations, you know, everybody's required to take, but they're there because they're interested in it. That's been, that's been very rewarding to me to be able to teach students that have a higher level of knowledge, mm-hmm. um, but also are just more engaged with the subject. Sure, sure. Well, to kind of direct this now to especially the most current work, I'm interested in maybe what you see as some of the differences between the more digital collages and then the more mixed media works. And, you know, we could talk about them separately or together. I'm just kind of curious, are these things that you work on in tandem in in terms of the digital works and then also the physical works? Um, So I started making the digital work back in 2018. It was, I think, my second semester that I was at MSU. And I was working a lot with analog collage at that point. And when I started making the shift between actually cutting and pasting and um, using X-Acto knives to scanning different images from magazines and putting them together on Photoshop, 
I was seeing those as a way to create these artificial spaces that had this, even when they're printed, they have this very like removed and digital aesthetic to them. A lot of my work involves creating these like windows into into these worlds that reflect aspects of our world, but they're they're changed in some way. So I would scan images from interior design magazines and IKEA catalogs. And I thought of the digital collages as a way to speak to the artificiality that's inherent in ads in the way that like if you look at an interior design magazine or an IKEA catalog, they try to sell you a life through these objects. And Mm -hmm. so I started to really think about consumerism and psychology of identity and thinking about, you know, the artificiality of that. So I saw the digital collages as having this removal of like not even having my hand involved in cutting things out, that it just, it felt very artificial to me. So I think about those as they have a very different aesthetic and they're able to speak to a lot of different things than the mixed media work. I was going to say they feel a little bit more recognizable to me too. Mm-hmm. And I guess to maybe talk, we could maybe talk more specifically about this one called uh, Home Study, you know, again, mm-hmm. which almost has like this square essentially that's over the sofa kind of almost reminds me of like a sensor, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of like what's what's sitting in this weird kind of space or this weird chair. But I can certainly get that idea because we've got all of these kind of consumer objects or, or you know, parts of ca- carpeting, you know, fragments of things kind of surrounding it. Yeah. And with that one in particular, I was really thinking about how to give a weight to the negative space and thinking about the negative space kind of replacing the figure. So putting that the block right on top of the chair and thinking about this absence of the figure and how it almost becomes kind of oppressive to the composition. So, you know, I think a lot about absence and presence of materials and objects, but also absence and presence of the figure and, you know, just materiality and thinking about how this can be represented through different material qualities, but also just negative, empty space of flat color. And obviously there's that aesthetic quality too, that a lot, and something that you can edit really easily, I'm assuming, at least in some components of the digital works, you know, like to change a background color or Mm -hmm. make adjustments like that. Yeah. That's what, one thing I really love about working digitally is that, you know, you can, you can go through so many different ideas so quickly and moving things around and changing colors. And, you know, for, for a little while, I had a hard time actually seeing those as works that could kind of, that could stand on their own. They felt like they should just be studies for something else. So it's taken me a little while and just with collage in general, um, and thinking about how that, that can, that's a medium that is, it's able to stand on its own. But yeah, so that's, that's, those are definitely some things that I'm thinking about changing the pace with how I'm working and going between the analog and the digital. Mm-hmm. But even even with my mixed media work now, I do a lot on Photoshop. So to kind of shift and talk about the mixed media work a little bit, I I work between mostly acrylic and oil paint. I would say mostly oil paint mm-hmm. and collaging digital prints. So the imagery that I collage, I usually find online or I take pictures and print those out. But I do manipulate them on Photoshop sometimes. Even just taking a photo of the painting, I work, like I said, I work very intuitively and then also kind of taking a step back and trying to assess where to push the painting. So I'll take pictures of it and then draw on my iPad. 
put different kinds of objects or images onto the surface so I can see how different things interact with the composition. So even though it doesn't look like it has as much of a digital aesthetic as the digital collages do, it's definitely something that plays into it. I'm still using a lot of imagery from interiors. I, the work is kind of rooted in this idea of the home and how we simultaneously experience actual space and psychological space. So I was thinking about, you know, growing up in an allotment where all the houses are, are basically the same, but how different they are on the inside when you think about, you know, all of the experiences and people that live there and and you're able to make it your own individual space and just thinking about how even in your home, how things are constantly shifting and you project different emotions or or different things into the space and how it can kind of change your perception of that space. You know, I've been doing a lot of reading on this too and thinking about this connection between physical and psychological space and you, you can't separate them, you know, so everybody experiences a place differently. So that's something that I'm working with with these mixed media pieces and thinking about how the psychological can come into the physical. And so there's some aspects that feel very structural and other aspects that feel very atmospheric or ephemeral as if things are kind of fading in or out or kind of weaving throughout the composition. So I want these to feel like they're continually shifting, that things aren't totally set or stable, that there's this potential for movement. Mm -hmm. In terms of the way that we experience our lives, not just within the home, but outside the home too, and how things are, things are constantly shifting based on our perception and, you know, things like that. A work that kind of maybe speaks to that for me is this work called Nested, mm -hmm. which kind of, again, kind of has that, that quality that you're talking about. There's some kind of recognizable aspects or aspects that kind of relate more to an interior and then parts that kind of dissolve as it was like a, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of liminal space or something like that. But maybe just to kind of really break it down. So in terms of how you're building this up, are you kind of like starting with a, you know, clean surface and then collaging elements, you know, that you're printing out on top of that and then drawing and painting over that? You know, every every painting starts a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I I don't have a systematic process. So with this one, I started and this is a really big painting and this is uh, seven feet by eight feet. So I took this outside and I laid it on the ground and I had a bunch of stencils from some previous paintings that I had made and I just put them on the surface and I used some spray paint. And so some of the shapes from the stencil showed up and it had this very kind of, there were a lot of, there was a lot of contrast between where the stencils were and where they weren't. So there was like this, these hard edges and then this soft quality to it. When I took it back into the studio, I started to think about some of the things that I saw within the image. Like I, I knew a rough idea of what I wanted this painting to be about. But so I started thinking about how to use the some of the spontaneous marks that had shown up on the surface and how to keep them or to kind of reinforce them or to, to go over them and to keep them in the final image. So I started with the spray paint and then I built up oil paint on top of that. Um, and then I worked some collage into that. And it's it's kind of a back and forth process then at that point where sometimes then I remove collage. Um, with this one, I ended up tearing some of the pieces off. And so I, I like to do that in a way to reveal what's underneath or to think about this idea of, you know, something being removed or gone or missing. You know, I think a lot about absence and presence, like I said. And so with this one, I knew that I, I wanted to, to make this central form feel kind of like a bed. Although I think it's 
now that I look at it, it's hard for me not to see that. But I think somebody that is just looking at it for the first time might not see that. But I wanted it to feel like it's simultaneously this bed form, but also feeling kind of like a picket fence with the slats. So thinking about nesting, putting these forms inside each other, thinking about ideas of protection and holding something as valuable and thinking about growth. So this one, there's a lot of symbolism in this one for me, thinking about this idea of nesting or you know, protecting things that are valuable. And at the top, there's this bird's nest with robin's eggs that the turquoise kind of spear shape is is repeated um, on the bottom left. There's this turquoise pearl necklace and thinking about these connections between those forms and things that we see as valuable or things that are worth protecting. And so there's a lot of these elements within this painting that when you think about it in terms of... Um, the title, thinking about it as nested, and you can kind of start to make these connections. And I don't want it to just be a representation of a literal kind of space. Um, I wanted it to reference bedroom, but also nature and thinking about these connections between nature and nurture. And so I would say that there's the strongest kinds of symbolism in this one. And so there's a lot of connections that can be made that I, I don't expect the viewer to get all of them when they look at it. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the exciting thing for me is that I think everybody can come to it and, and read something different from it. But is it something like where you'll see, you know, a color from like that blue egg and then kind of use that as part of the aesthetics for it or start to kind of slowly build out like, oh, there's going to be this color range for a painting. And then, you know, while mm -hmm. you're working on something else, you've got maybe something radically different, but something that kind of starts to kind of inform the color. There's definitely elements that I start with and think, okay, this, I, I'm going to use this in the painting somewhere. And then I um, kind of build off of that. So I knew that the color palette for this, I wanted it to reference these very gendered colors of um, thinking about, you know, baby blue and, light pink and juxtaposing them against these very natural earthy colors. But yeah, so I, I make these decisions and then it's kind of like a puzzle. Then I start thinking about, you know, what needs to come next or what's after that. But I do start with these, these elements that then kind of inform the rest of the painting. To kind of compare that to another one, there's one called the jungle, which to me kind of oddly enough has, feels like a little bit more of like an exterior. Mm -hmm. or at least has some elements that maybe f feel a little bit more of an exterior. So is that something that, you know, in terms of like building that out, you're starting with maybe different images that kind of inform this new painting in a different way? I started this one kind of loosely thinking about this idea of Amazon and how monumental, I guess it is, in constructing our environments. At this point, I was still really thinking about these manufactured environments and mass-produced objects and materials. So in this one, it's it's kind of hard to tell because of the way that I've cut them up and rearranged them. But in the middle of the painting, there's these um, yellow shelves. They're Amazon warehouse shelves. And so they the way that I put them together almost makes it feel like it's a little cityscape or something. And then the way that um, on the bottom, there's these, in perspective, these uh, squares that are images of Amazon warehouse buildings from outside. In thinking about putting those together to create the floor of this piece, you know, I think a lot about the title and how that can open up the read even more. So in applying a title like The Jungle to, to this piece, I think that the viewer can then start to make these connections like, you know, the top 
right corner with that really thick green paint starts to kind of feel like a canopy or these rolls of fabric right underneath that almost feel like there's some movement to them, like they could be snakes or something. But so then it kind of gives this different read to this very mundane space. You know, Mm -hmm. it was based off of a living room space, but I think a lot about the connections between interior and exterior, you know, so the way that we experience something like the inner, the inner nature or character of our lives, you know, and also the way that we interact with the physical space. So I like to make those connections between inside and outside and, you know, just kind of finding these similarities and differences between, you know, these, these unrelated things. So, you know, we've been talking about, you know, these mixed media works and, you know, the digital works previously. Are, are you planning on exhibiting both bodies of work in, in terms of your thesis exhibition? Maybe tell us a little bit more about what you've been, you know, really working on. And I think you just said that you hung recently, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the show is going to go up next week, so it will start to be hung on Monday. Yeah, so for my thesis exhibition, um, I'm actually just working with the mixed media right now. So there's my thesis exhibition will have six seven foot by eight foot paintings. So I'm really lucky. I At MSU, we have the opportunity to show our thesis exhibitions at the Eli and Edith Broad Art Museum that's right on MSU's campus. It's this really big, beautiful exhibition space. So I I was given more space than I, I thought that I would. I didn't think I'd get to show all six of these paintings because they're so large. But yeah, so that's what will be in my thesis show. I may end up going back to the digital work after this. I don't see myself continuing working on such a large scale. Mm-hmm. I'm excited after the thesis show goes up. I've had some smaller canvases sitting around in my studio for a while that um, I haven't had the time to work on just because I've been working on these larger pieces for so long. But I'm excited to get back to a smaller scale and to see how this idea plays out on a canvas that's, you know, maybe a quarter of the size or um, even smaller than that. Because, you know, working on a seven foot by eight foot canvas, it feels like it has this very environmental quality to it where you feel like you're walking into a space. And so I'm excited to see how that transitions onto a smaller canvas where it's, it's, I see it as kind of like maybe taking a smaller section or a smaller moment from the larger space and kind of isolating that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to having some time to explore scale, keep exploring different materials and different ways to layer these different processes together. But I also see myself as, you know, maybe working completely digitally again, too. So, you know, so we'll see where that goes. Sure, sure. Well, and at that scale, I'm assuming that these are ones that are taking quite a bit of time. And since you're using oil paint, I'm assuming that, again, you're kind of working them you know, in tandem and then kind of jumping around to different ones while they're drying. Yeah, I usually have two paintings in the studio. I can't fit any more than that. But yeah, I I go through periods where I work extensively on one piece. And then when I feel like I can't keep pushing it anymore, or the paint needs to dry, then I'll shift in. It's hard for me to fluidly go back and forth between them just because it takes so much. I have to get into the right mental space with each one and where I want to push it. So I, I tend to work for a longer period of time on one piece, but then I always have another one to go to if I need to take a break or, you know, I just need to step back for a little bit. But yeah, I think it's important to have multiple things going at the same time, just so you don't feel like you're stuck. Um, I feel like I always make bad decisions when I just have to finish a painting and I just 
keep working on it, even though um, I'm not sure where I want it to go. So I think stepping away from the painting is sometimes more important than than to keep working on it. You know, the time away is, you know, it's really important. Well, and I'm curious how much time is just spent looking, you know, I mean, I, I know that, you know, you mentioned Alice Stone Collins earlier. That was something that I thought stuck out to me in that interview is, is a lot of times artists will spend, you know, just lots of time looking at their work to mm-hmm. kind of think about what needs to happen to it. Is that something that you'll, you know, flip like a painting around or turn it upside oh, yeah. down and just stare at it for a chunk of time? Mm-hmm. I do. Well, so I don't flip it around in my studio just because they're, they're so big and they're hard right. to move, but I take pictures a lot. And so it's interesting when I look at something on, I work on my iPad a lot and I'll draw on that on the Photoshop app, but seeing something so big reduced onto a smaller scale on the screen and being able to rotate that, most of my decisions come from seeing something on the screen. And then I will kind of play around with that and trying something out in the digital space. And then it's interesting then when you take it to the large scale physicality of the painting, how, how it kind of shifts this idea that you, you thought was really going to bring the whole painting together. And then you try it and it's like, okay, well maybe not, but it gave me something really interesting to work from. Mm -hmm. For me, it's just this like, you know, constant like assessment and reflection. And yeah, I think it's so important to, to just look and to, to think and to step back and, you know, and to not push it or try to rush it too quickly. Well, it's interesting to hear you describe that digital process because, I mean, I I do something similar, especially like when I'm stuck, you know, where I'm like, I don't want to just paint on this. So it's something that winds up becoming digitally edited Mm -hmm. and sometimes it really works out. And then sometimes you're like, oh gosh, I got to remove this color that I put down. This is a terrible decision. So yeah, um, (laughs) it's really interesting. Every, every painting has its own little tale, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and one thing that's kind of really something that I have to note before, you know, we definitely run out of time that was interesting in in terms of listening, you talk about your work and how every painting is different is I can't help but think about, you know, Ben, Benjamin Duke is somebody that I interviewed back in uh, 2015. Oh, wow. Cool. As you know, like I try to incorporate like a quote from an interview to start and he kind of described this idea of like almost every time that he sits down to kind of work through something, he has to almost like learn how to do it for the first time again. Mm-hmm. And I went up playing it for my students all the time because there's this real like openness in terms of that, that creative process where you realize like uh, sometimes it kind of works out, but there's still a lot of anxiety uh, in terms of starting that. And mm-hmm. you know that, I don't know, I just, I get a lot of strength from that idea and to kind of listen to you talk about that uh, relative to your work is kind of interesting to think about how you know, you're just going to start with this thing and then slowly edit it and then mm-hmm. slowly know that you trust in that process and something will happen from it. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to just trusting yourself and, you know, and sometimes I have doubts that, you know, I'm never going to be able to pull this painting together, but those paintings are always the ones that end up being the most interesting or the most exciting because you've just tried so many different things and there's a lot of, there's a, an unexpected quality to it and the way that it came together. But I'm very cautious about paintings that come together too quickly because I feel like they're kind of, they're missing some of that, that struggle a little bit and that excitement that comes with finally resolving something. And, but yeah, I I do think it, it really comes down to just trusting yourself that, you know, you will be able to pull it together or, you know, that it's, it's good to take risks that the risks are what, keep things exciting. 
and keep it engaging for you and for the viewer. Absolutely. So again, as we're kind of slowly wrapping here, just remind us again, you know, this exhibition is a, in a little bit of a state of flux in terms of the opening, but, you know, just remind us again, you know, where, where it's going to be some of that basic information. The thesis exhibition will be at the Eli and Edith Road Art Museum in East Lansing, and it will be on view from March 21st through May 3rd. So yeah. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> Again, you know, like we, we were talking about some of the difficulties now earlier because there's, you know, there's this contagion going around. So we're kind of all trying to make sure that we're not spreading it. So hopefully things will have died down a little bit. But obviously there's there's hours just to check out the show. Remind everybody, where else can they kind of see your work? Obviously, we talked about your website earlier. And then obviously, I'm assuming you're on social media. Uh, you can see more of my work um, on my website. It's um, emilysamoski.com. Or I post quite a bit on Instagram. So you can see a lot of process and studio shots, as well as finished pieces. And that's at msamoski, E-M-Samoski. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, I, I know that it'll be exciting to kind of get that up. There's always that wonderful experience when you have a show and you finally get all these paintings out of your studio into a, a real space. And there's something especially satisfying where you've been working with all these professors for a number of years. And, you know, you have this this thesis up to kind of talk about your work and kind of, you know, think about putting a, you know, a capstone on that experience. So, yeah, it's exciting, too, because working so large, I haven't really seen these paintings together. And so to be able to see them in this big, beautiful exhibition space, it's something I've been looking forward to as I've been making these paintings for about a year now. So this really, it does feel like this big capstone on this experience. Also just all of this work that I've been putting into these paintings for the past year. So yeah, so it'll be really exciting to see it all come together next week. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great being able to talk with you. Thanks once again to Emily for joining me. Be sure and check out her work at emilysamoski.com and follow her at emsamoski on Instagram. She currently has an exhibition of paintings on view at the Eli and Edith Art Museum at Michigan State University in East Lansing, Michigan. The show, titled Being Sensing Dwelling, runs through May 3rd, and you want to make sure that you follow her because there's going to be a video posted shortly to kind of walk through it. And obviously, if it opens up to the public during this health crisis, you know, you can find out more information by following her. So please do that. As I stated at the beginning of this podcast, Emily's work was selected as part of Studio Break's 2019 Student Annual Competition. Again, we do that every year. Last year, our juror was Erica B. Hess from I Like Your Work podcast, which is how Emily's work was selected. That competition is going to be opening up very shortly. So if you're an artist interested in applying, make sure to follow us on social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram at Studio underscore Break on Facebook. Give us a like at Studio Break and, of course, on Twitter at Studio Break. Our juror this year is going to be ceramic artist Tim Kowalczyk at Tim Ceramics on Instagram. So we're very excited to have this newly confirmed and we're excited, as always, to get a lot of great applications. So be sure and follow Studio Break to find out how to apply in the coming weeks. 
The podcast world is vast, and as you know, there are a lot of artists quarantined in their studios. So if you happen to like today's episode, be sure and subscribe to the podcast or visit studiobreak.com to see some of the episodes that you might have missed out on. Again, each of our posts have images of the artist's artwork, links to their website so you can find out more information about them. You can also subscribe to the podcast so that every time there's a new episode, it just updates. So be sure and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play, or just listen in the default player on studiobreak.com. Of course, if you like this podcast, please help spread the word. There's a lot of artists probably crawling the walls right now looking for some good conversation. It's always appreciated when listeners share this podcast and help spread the word about Studio Break. And at the same time, you're earning karma points, so it's all good. Just a quick thank you to Skylar Mail, who provides the music to Studio Break. You can check out his work at SkylarMail.net. If you'd like to see some of my paintings, you can check them out at davidlinaway.com. And of course, you can find me on Facebook. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at David Linaway. It is always fun hearing from listeners, so be sure to hit us up on social media. And we hope you're staying safe out there. We'll talk to you real soon.